a lot of the reason that us as adults aren't very good intuitive eaters is because that mechanism's almost been broken over so many years in diet culture and you know all the things that we've been raised with. But they may look at you and be like, oh, Megan's already doing this and this and this and this and this, and I can't even get one meal on the table for the whole family. I'm a failure. Hey friend, my name is Megan Dahlman. As a certified trainer and nutrition coach, I'm on a mission to change the conversation around fitness, nutrition, and taking care of ourselves as moms. If you're tired of restrictive fad diets and all or nothing workouts, in a culture that tries to sell you the lie that your value is tied to the number on the scale, then you're in the right place. I'm here to equip and encourage you to take simple steps towards the healthy life you want for yourself and the people you love. Welcome to Self-Care Simplified. Well, Ashley, welcome to the show. I usually spend so much time coaching moms on how to make simple improvements to their own eating habits and that, and little things that really add up and make a big difference in the long run, but getting our kids to follow suit and eat healthy is a whole other struggle. So I am really excited to bring this conversation to all the moms listening that feel like they just spend all their day beating their head against a wall, trying to get their kids to eat something healthy. So welcome to the show. We are so glad that you are here. Thank you. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to be here. So tell us a little bit more about how you got into this line of work. How did you become a pediatric dietitian, and, and what does that look like for you on a daily basis? Sure. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was one of those people that like, I knew I wanted to do this for probably 14 on. I babysat like several days a week for families. And one of the families specifically that I worked with multiple days a week had really picky eaters. And I was raised really adventurous. My food, my family like ate lots of different kinds of food and, you know, both parents were involved in the kitchen. My brother's now a professional chef. So it was kind of foreign to me to see kids be so picky And kind of in the same season of life, my dad started having a lot of health related issues kind of related to how he was taking care of himself. And um, so I just kind of started to realize like, oh, everyone hasn't been raised around food the way I have. And um, it just really started, you know, I think God just put a seed in me that was very interested. So, I mean, back in high school in the summer, I would do coordinate snacks for VBS and I would, you know, come up with these really robust themes. And it was just, it was a passion really early on. And so I was one of those people who went to school knowing my major and I actually stuck with it. You know, they always say like, don't pick a school based off your major, but I did. And it worked out thankfully because um, I got my bachelor's in nutrition and then um, I moved to Texas for grad school and in public health. And then that's where I did like my dietetic internship and, you know, started my first job at a pediatric hospital and things. So I always knew nutrition was an interest, but it was always very clear that pediatric nutrition was part was the most. And so in undergrad, and then again, in grad school, my internship, everything I could do to get as much experience and exposure with pediatrics was kind of where I leaned and tried to get in and stuff. So I'm very thankful that I was able to have, you know, as much hands-on experience before kind of professionally starting as a dietitian. Yeah. What does that look like now? Are, are you in a hospital or what, what's the setting that you work in now? Sure. Yeah. So right now I'm in private practice. I'm self-employed. So I started Veggies and Virtue officially in 2017, but um, really I was working in a hospital setting and then in um, a hospital food service setting before my oldest was born. Um, And my husband, he also has a family business. And so we were both kind of like, we're not, you know, if we're both working the hours we're working, like we'll never see our children. And so 
Um, when my oldest was born in 2014, I started staying home with her. And then, you know, as all of us moms can attest to when, you know, you start feeding your own kid, I thought, oh, I've worked in a pediatric hospital, one of the best in the world. Like, I know what I'm doing. And then I had my own kid and I realized I had no idea what I was doing. And um, really quickly, you know, I had, I faced every hiccup possible with her from breastfeeding to introducing solids to picky eating. I mean, nothing was, I didn't realize how much pride I had, I don't think, in this area of like, I'll have this poster child for pediatric nutrition until I had her. And then I just kind of started realizing all this. And when I, when it dawned on me, like, if this is so hard for me and I know I have an education, I have like six, seven years of education in nutrition. How hard is this for other moms? And so it, it was just kind of a, you know, she did mom's day out, you know, when my second was born. And so I just kind of would share lunchbox pictures and little things here and there and, you know, grocery store hauls and things like that. Um, and then it just kind of blossomed. I just really felt like it was on my heart to kind of start pouring into this. And, you know, as my husband's always said, like, this is a seed planting business. Like, I just want to plant good seed. You know, I stayed at home part time um, while running the private practice on the side. So it's never kind of it's never been this like full fledged, like, you know, full um, pedal to the metal kind of business venture, at least in this season that I've been in. Because uh, I now have a seven, a five, and a three-year-old. So we're kind of starting to resurface again. I feel like I'm starting to get my head above water again. But um, in general, um, you know, thankfully, having it be my own business, you know, there's pros and cons to it, of course. But it's at least allowed me the flexibility to be home with the kids, but also, you know, pursue some professional outlets about something that, you know, has been a passion for so many years. I love that you've been, um, you know, you were challenged personally. <laughs> I, I find, you know, for myself as a strength coach, like the times where I learned the most about how to work through individual issues was when I was either training for something particular or I had injuries. I had uh -huh. my own problems or family members with problems. And I think as much as we hate it, it's going through struggles and hard times where we really learn the most. And so I'm sure you would say if you could go back and make it so that your child, your children were like perfect eaters, you probably wouldn't be the nutritionist that you are today. Right. Absolutely. And I think that was a huge thing. Cause I think even still, you know, uh, it wasn't just like, Oh, with my first, it was a challenge. And then it's been so simple since, I mean, with each child, there's been a lot of different challenges that I didn't expect, but I also didn't realize like how much empathy I needed and how much like I needed to grow, not just like academically and intellectually, but really just relationally with moms. And I think all of us, you know, can attest to that in like a mom's community of how far that can go when you just can like listen really in like empathetically to people. And I didn't realize, you know, I sometimes go back and like kick myself when I think of how I was as a dietitian, you know, fresh out of grad school at the children's hospital, having a lot of like book smarts and like a lot of, you know, very like real applications from an evidence-based perspective, but zero application from like a, what is life as a mom like application. So, um, so it's definitely grown me a lot. And I think hope, you know, made me a lot better dietitian, a lot, you know, more helpful to the families I work with. So to just kind of talk into that, I was thinking through last night, we had, um, you know, dinner as a family, we try to do this every night. We sit down and we have dinner at our dining room table as a family. And one of our common meals that we'll put together, we'll do like teriyaki chicken. So we'll do like barbecued chicken thighs, um, with some teriyaki sauce, with just some basic rice. And we'll do a whole pan of like sauteed vegetables. I love it. Like the veggies, I could eat the entire pan. My kids, on the other hand, they, they won't touch it. And like, 
they will literally be gagging if I force them to eat one of these vegetables that comes out of the pan. And I just remember sitting there and looking in their bowl and realizing in their bowl right now, all they have are chicken and white rice and like a tiny single piece of carrot that they've been like pushing around their bowl forever. And in that moment, I just felt like, you know, this is so not perfect. Why can't I make this work better? Like my expectations on what perfect eating for my kids are like is so high. And I just feel like we have these moments as moms where we feel like we're failing our kids because we're not doing it perfectly. Like we're, we're trying and sometimes we want to give up trying. And so, I mean, what do you suggest is just a better set of expectations for those of us moms that find ourselves in those situations or like, that is so not a perfect meal right now. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I think, you know, it makes me think of, I was doing a Peloton right this morning and I feel like you can relate to this analogy, but on it, they were saying like, look, you may not have like performed the way you wanted today or that you came in hoping, but you did it. Like you showed up, you did the best you could, you gave it everything you got and there's grace for whatever you didn't give. And I think that just kind of makes, I feel like that's an analogy you could probably relate with. Absolutely. Yeah. I think that's so true because a lot of times what I say for families is like, whatever you're doing, like whatever you feel like you didn't do right yesterday, just try and make like one step in the direction you want to go today. Cause I think what we think is it's all like, we were very all or nothing. So it's like, well, if they didn't eat their vegetable, I'm going to discredit all of what I did do amazing. Whereas a dietitian, like where, you know, you're painting this picture of like, you did a family meal. That's amazing. That is a huge step for some families that aren't doing family meals. I mean, like that would be a benchmark that they could be really excited and proud about them or proud of themselves for, even if it was chicken nuggets and the same kind of tater tots every night, they're doing it family style. Like that would be a step of progress. Or for you, you know, it might be because this is, that's already so habitual. It doesn't feel like a victory. And I think a lot of times, you know, for better or worse, obviously social media like has a lot of great aspects to it, but I think we're so aware of what other people are doing that we can't always narrow in on like, what did I accomplish? You know, like, so this other person's kid ate all their vegetables. Well, what am I doing wrong? And like, we can kind of get inside our own heads rather than like realizing like how many steps in the right direction have I taken? So I think, you know, you have to look at where you're at and kind of look at like, what is that next thing without going from like, we're here and I want to be this person whose kid like begs for kale chips. Okay. There's a huge gap between where I'm at and where that person's family is at. And so I think, you know, for families just to be encouraged, like wherever you're starting place again, like I was saying, if you're not doing family style meals, that might be the next step, but they may look at you and be like, Oh, Megan's already doing this and this and this and this and this. And I can't even get one meal on the table for the whole family. I'm a failure. And I would just encourage them to like really find grace in where they're at and know that like, this is not a race, you know, like, I mean, obviously as a pediatric dietitian, I love when these habits can be established as early as possible. But I think sometimes with that can carry the guilt too of like, oh, it's too little too late. I might as well give up. And that, as you know, with fitness or exercise or anything health related, it's really never too late. We can always redirect our family in the direction that we want to go, whether that be feeding habits, beliefs around food, whatever it might be. I appreciate that so much. I mean, that is, you're speaking my language right there, like a hundred percent. And so much of when I am coaching moms, it's like, Hey, let's just take where you're at right now, whatever that baseline is, and just see if we can do just one thing better. And that could be just, you know, let's add a glass of water with your lunch today. And we do have this tendency to be like, well, that's not enough. Like that, that obviously is not enough to move the needle. And it's like, well, it's enough to move you in the right direction. And so 
to see that with the kids too, I think that we have an ability with our own self to be like, I can lower my expectations with my own self. And because I know it's hard for me, but when it comes to my kids, like I care so much about them and I feel like I'm failing them and failing them feels so much weightier to me than if I fail myself. And so we, we put so much more pressure on ourselves when it comes to our kids. Yeah. And I think with that too, you know, it's some of it's the inner dialogue, right. Of like, even the concept of, you know, I'm lowering my expectation. I'm like a recovering perfectionist, which is definitely work the Lord has done since becoming a mom. Like I didn't even realize I was one probably, or at least that there was anything wrong with it before kids. And now just thinking like, for me personally, like if I thought of lowering my expectations, it doesn't matter where that bar is set. It would be considered a failure to me because I'm like, you're not aspiring. You're not trying your best. You're settling. And like those kind of words do not stir up like a confident feeling in me. They stir up like this shortcoming kind of feeling in me. And I think for moms to see, you know, and again, knowing your audience, you know, is more like health and fitness oriented. Like it really is like a marathon, not a sprint. And I think, you know, like, I mean, I've run marathons. I think it's like, you want to like run it and run it well, but you train for months and months and months. And so it's like, you may certain seasons know like you're only up for a 5k. And so that's like, that is lowering your expectations. But to me, if I just told myself, like I can commit to a 5k in because I have, I mean, I'm not doing it with a newborn, but you get what I'm saying. Like there's different seasons that place different demands. And so you reset what your focus is. And I think it's the same way with this, you know, sometimes it might be the marathon, sometimes it might be the 5k. And I think if families could almost see that parallel to feeding and see, you know, some seasons, we're going to be really, you know, uh, you know, intentional about sitting together as a family and working on one meal for the whole family. Well, in this season of survival, while, you know, I just had surgery, my husband's, you know, away on, um, you know, for his job or whatever it might be, there's different seasons. So like, let's reset what's realistic in this season and, um, you know, find grace, but also not kind of like pre-established that we've already failed because no matter what we do, it's still not enough. If that makes sense. Absolutely. That's really important for families too, because it's just that inner dialogue. So then if they don't eat the carrot at the dinner, it's not like a, uh, you know, like it automatically is almost met with like frustration and a feeling of defeat rather than I still sat with my kids and fed them family meal that I was eating too with them and, you know, enjoyed conversation. And like, you look at it from a different angle. And so I think all motherhood, but especially with feeding, I see that being really true that I think even if we do what we set out to achieve with a lower expectation, I think sometimes we can still feel like that not enoughness. Yeah. And I feel like this is such a great perspective for the big picture and, you know, to just take a step back and look at how we're feeding our family as a whole and just realize, you know what, I'm, I'm doing the best I can in this moment, in this season of life. And I'm, and I'm trying, but let's zoom in now because there's so many like actual meal times, (laughs) like in the moment, in the heat of the moment where it is so stressful and so frustrating, like just the actual process of putting a meal together is just like, it can be so overwhelming for so many moms. Like, let's just say maybe a lunchtime for the kids. Um, so let's zoom in and take it, take just that one meal and be like, how can we, as moms make that mealtime process less stressful and less frustrating? So again, I know everyone, you know, listening is going to have different personality types. And, um, you know, I just did a talk last week and one of the comments I made, and I think it applies here is, 
you know, we have to know where our own creativity thrives. And so like for me, obviously food is kind of quote unquote my thing, but at the same time, like, it's really not like, I feel like the more I become a mom and the more I'm constantly feeding and I'm just like, I mean, this is what I professionally do. And then I personally have to feed humans all day. Like I actually don't really like cooking per se, but I need to, like, that's just part of my job, you know? We all needed to hear that. Thank you for saying yeah. that. <laughs> yeah, no, and I think that's why, like, again, if if people resonate with my material, I would love to provide resources. But for me personally, you know, I know where kind of my creativity thrives, but I also want people to feel permission that like, if that's not their creative outlet, they can find other things that like kind of re-inspire them to feed their kids. You know, there's a lot of different avenues and without going into a tangent of kind of like what all of, the, all of those are, just wanted to kind of preface that because I'm speaking from my vantage point of what works for me, but I have tremendous mental fatigue over like what to make. And, you know, I, I, none of, I have three kids, none of them are adventurous eaters. So I kind of thought I would just be like, oh, I'm making all these amazing food all the time. And like, just, you know, cookbook after cookbook, like endless ideas. And I'm not, I'm like, oh, streamline this. I do not want to have to come up with what to serve at another lunch. Like I am done. And so for me, it helps to, you know, I know meal planning has gotten really trendy, but I think just to compartmentalize and kind of like just create like buckets of what I can offer. So then based off what we have on hand or what maybe does sound good to me or things, just to kind of like reduce the amount of mental fatigue. And so, you know, I create a lot of resources that are kind of like, what's this main concept or a lot of like the verbiage I use is like, what's the main combination? Like, okay, if breakfast, you're going to do toast. Toast can have a million different varieties. And, you know, parents are always like, oh, but my child needs variety. And it, that's true. As a dietitian, of course, that's a priority to me. But, you know, I think if families see I'm offering toast every day, there's different ways to do toast every day. Or you might see, okay, like toast Tuesdays, Wednesday, we're doing waffles, Thursday, I'm doing oatmeal, Friday, I'm doing cereal. Like, and just stick with that until you get tired of it or until your kid gets tired of it or switch one out. Like for me with meals at dinner, I switch it out kind of quarterly to kind of think of like, let's do a refresh, but I don't want to come up with something from scratch every week. So I think if parents can kind of think like what's one, what like taps into a creative outlet that like works for their personality type. But if there's someone who is like apt to kind of do a meal plan organization type thing, kind of think of like, what are those main buckets that you can allocate to certain days of the week? Or, you know, it may be, look, I know I work late Monday, Wednesday, Friday. And so that needs to be like a delegated dinner or, you know, I know, you know, on the example of lunch, like I know my child goes to preschool, I'm going to be packing this lunch, mm-hmm. three, two, five days, however many days, you know, kind of bucket what those are and just kind of get in a groove. Because again, going back to something we said before, I think parents have to see what is my sustainable starting place yeah, and then do that next thing. And so, you know, create one more variation of what you're doing from right now, because a lot of times we'll be like, oh, I'm going to make all these amazing bentos. And we start really, really strong. Yeah. Again, just going back to like the marathon <laughs> example, like no one ever finished a marathon strong who ran all out the first mile because you burn out and you're done. So I think if people can really find what their pace is and then figure out, okay, how can I do one more thing? Because now this is a new habit. Like now this is my new normal. I can sustain this without getting worn out, without feeling exhausted. Okay. Now I like, I, and again, my kids are seven, five and three, and I just feel like I'm starting to gain stride. Mm-hmm. Like this does not feel like each step is like heavy, you know, it just, it it feels hard where I feel like I'm starting to get more creative energy where I'm like, Oh, I want to make lasagna. All of a sudden I'm like, I haven't made lasagna in three years, but now I, now I have that creative energy again. But for a long time, it was just, how can I streamline this? Because I am tired and I do not want the mental fatigue of coming up with 
five eating opportunities every single day. Like that's well, and especially when you have kids that like completely different things, you know, you could have kids that have totally different palettes. You know, my kids are eight and 10. And so I pack lunches and I'll try to do the same thing, you know, to make myself like make it easier on myself. And I literally will pack the exact same lunches each time. But one kid will be like, I don't like that kind of cheese. I want that kind of cheese. Can we not have Turkey? I want ham instead. I don't like those done it. Like they just go back and forth and it's like, well, what's the balance here between you know, just, this is what you're going to get, even though I know you're probably not going to eat it and it's probably going to get thrown away versus like, okay, I guess I'll pack what I think that you, you will eat, you know, like kind of, I, I, I feel like there's this balance with every meal of like pandering to your children mm-hmm. and like caving to them in a way versus like just giving them what you know that they should eat. What do you think? Yeah, no, I think that's a great question. And so I think, I think part of it is it depends what stage of parenting you're at. I think, you know, when our kids are coming out of infancy and toddlerhood, they need a lot of consistency because, you know, we have to be very clear on what those boundaries are because toddlers particularly will really push back if it seems, well, this time you answered this way. And, you know, this time I demanded a snack and you gave it to me. And next time I demanded a snack and you held your, like, put your foot down. Like, I'm going to just keep demanding because I don't know what I'm going to get. Where if they know what they're going to get, they stop the demanding. And so I think in the early formative years, you know, if if a family is still kind of developing what their kind of feeding environment looks like, I think that consistency is really key. I think it's developmentally most appropriate for kids. You know, in the feeding space, we talk about the division of responsibility. That's kind of the overarching gold standard feeding approach. And I have a lot of resources on it on my site, but it's created by Ellen Satter and she has a whole institute with tremendous amount of resources and it's, you know, very well researched. Um, But it's basically parents get to decide what, when, and where, and kids get to decide if, whether, and how much. And, you know, there's, there's different challenges at each age. Um, You know, toddlerhood, there's a, I mean, I work with families all the time that are like, this is really hard. This is really hard to stay consistent because, you know, my kid's going to bed hungry or they're refusing this or throwing a tantrum and I just don't have it in me to care. Like there's different challenges, but at the ages and stages your kids are at, if it's already kind of been established that, you know, the adult is in charge of what, when, and where food is being offered. And, you know, some of that is kind of handed over to the school because they're getting to decide when and where in the school place. So it's kind of a caregiver role. Um, But at those ages, they can start taking part in that process. Mm -hmm. So it might be, you know, Hey, you know, I'm making this for lunch. If you'd like a change, you can take part and help me in the kitchen. I'm making lunches at this time. You can help make your, make your sandwich with me, but like, this is what's on the menu. You get to choose Swiss or cheddar, turkey or ham, this is what's out. But you're not giving them like a open the fridge, pick something and they fill their lunchbox with brownies. I mean, you're giving them like pretty simplified choices from like one or two options. Um, But then at their age, you know, you want to start equipping them with the skills to know how to do these things themselves. Because a lot of times, even with the division of responsibility, we have to kind of start handing over some of that responsibility as kids get older yeah. So that when they move out on their own, they have some competency of their own of like, I know how to make my own sandwich, you know? So totally, it, it kind of transitions from like the parents are really in the driver's seat in toddlerhood to starting to see kind of, okay, I'm going to bring out everything at lunch. We're packing them, you know, while dinner's cooking, this is the time we do it. If you want it, you're welcome to come participate. I'd love for us to do this together. If you don't, you know, I expect you to have this lunch with a good attitude or grateful heart. And, you know, there'll be another eating opportunity at snack time. So like if they don't eat their lunch, that, that was their choice. Cause that's their part 
in the role, the feeding role, they can decide that. And then if they decide not to eat it. I mean, no parent wants to like throw food in the trash. Like none of us are like, Oh, love that feeling. But you know, you can kind of tailor it accordingly. So you're like, I know they're not going to probably eat the sandwich, but this is what I'm making. I'm going to send them a half of a, I'm going to send them a half the sandwich instead of a whole, or I'm going to give them a little reminder. Hey, I'm making lunches. Did you want to come help decide what kind of sandwich you want? Or are you good with whatever I pack? Yep. You know, you can start to, and again, I think parents need to be sensitive to their child's age and stage and kind of oh, where they're at. Because um, if they haven't done any of this division of responsibility, you know, it needs to be a, you know, a little bit more of a foundation before you kind of just start including your kid. But I think it can also be a really great step in the transition to, you know, a little more independence as kids get older. Well, and I can see that, especially, you know, I look at my two boys, my 10 year old, he's a such, he's such a different personality than my eight year old. And he's far more, um, he'll take responsibility and he'll do the things, but he'll make himself breakfast and he'll make like a, a whole wheat English muffin. And then he'll be like, well, that's it. That's all I need. And so I've gotten in the habit of being like, what produce are you going to choose? Where's your protein? And, and so it's like, here's your categories that we need to make sure that you're getting checked off. You can choose what your protein's going to be. Do you want some yogurt with it? I can make you an egg if you want. Do you want cheese with it? What are you going to have an apple? Are you going to have a banana? Like we got to get these things checked off, but you get to choose yeah. what those things are. My eight-year-old, he, uh -huh. <laughs> I totally story. Uh -huh. he would have like cinnamon toast crunch for breakfast every day if he possibly could. And what is a produce. I don't even know, uh -huh. you know, so it's so different. I, yeah. So each kid, each age, I can see that for sure. So do you feel like, is there, you know, for those of us that are realizing like, okay, I'm totally not doing this perfectly. That's fine. I'm giving myself grace, but I want to make sure that my kids are not being nutrient deficient. Like, is there at least just one nutrient or a group of nutrients that you feel like, okay, we need to at least make sure our kids are getting this every day somehow. Yeah, you know, I think I think the trickiest thing isn't, again, depending on all personality types, some people are tracking macros and like, oh, give me a micronutrient and I will follow it, my kid. In general, I think most parents do better thinking of food groups rather yes. than like micronutrients. I mean, macronutrients, but most of those are being hit by most kind of typical eaters. Um, but even micronutrients, I think, I mean, vitamin D supplementation, I do think is important because it's very hard to meet uh, just through food alone. Um, and so, you know, you can look at vitamin D council website, there's different resources out there, depending on the age and stage of your kid, but that can be one that, um, you know, I think across the board can be beneficial in families, but otherwise I encourage families to, you know, what I just love it, like it learning at framework that I have and have parents kind of, I mean, they can just, I have a free template on my website. They're welcome to download, or they can just kind of make a basic T graph with three different columns. What are the foods their kids loves? What are the foods their kid likes? And what are the foods that their kids are still learning? And that's basically like, what are the foods that are the ones, you know, hands down, every time you offer it, your kid's going to enjoy it. What are the foods that, eh, you know, 50-50, you offer it, sometimes they eat it, sometimes they kind of poke at it, maybe take a few bites, but it's not like they're excited about it as much. And then the learning at foods is kind of what most of us parents like automatically think of, like all the foods my kids won't eat or all the foods that I offer and they don't touch, you know? The reason I say that here is because I think if families can start to kind of categorize, um, you know, what food groups are dominant, they can start to also see what nutrients might be most likely shortcoming. And it doesn't necessarily mean deficient because 
as you know, part of the division of responsibility is trusting that kids are really good at intuitive eating. A lot of the reason that us as adults aren't very good intuitive eaters is because that mechanism's almost been broken over so many years in diet culture and you know, all the things that we've been raised with that I think, you know, society is starting to shift to understand a little bit more. Like we need to honor that internal mechanism. Of, am I hungry? And am I full? That said, you know, it's still our job to help shape our children's eating habits to, you know, include a wide variety of foods. So if you see my kid loves, you know, all crunchy snack crackers and all that kind of stuff, but like doesn't eat anything from the dairy food group, doesn't eat anything except a fresh strawberry that's not bruised in a certain way. And, you know, maybe baby carrots. We can kind of start to see like where maybe should our priorities start to fall. And that's not priority in terms of like pushing. Like we don't want to pressure or bribe or be like, oh, you're lacking in all vegetables. I need to really like drive this home with you. But it helps us to be a little more intentional on like where could I maybe start to get more variety? Okay, I know you love muffins. Is a zucchini muffin really zucchini? Not really, but you're right. At this point, you're not eating any vegetables. So maybe because you love muffins, we could try a zucchini muffin. And that might be, or, you know, maybe we include pumpkin. Pumpkin is a vegetable, you know, like we can put pumpkin in a muffin and at least start to expose you to some of these things. You can help make it. And then once you've done it that way, maybe you don't mind it when it's on teriyaki night, or maybe you don't mind it blended, or, you know, in your oatmeal, or right. you kind of start to see some versatility that way. But I think parents can kind of start to see some holes in their family's diet or their child's diet when they see my child's, if they're completely avoiding food groups, that's the biggest concern because whether they like yogurt or milk, a lot of the nutrients are similar. So yeah, I mean, of course we want as much variety and range as possible, but in general, I think kind of making that list, seeing where those gaps are, and then, you know, considering where's the priority of where I fill in those gaps can really start to help families. How do you feel about hiding food in things? <laughs> uh, I do not recommend it. You might've guessed that, but yeah. I think in general, I mean, really early, 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 our kids can start being involved. I mean, of course the mess, you know, increases was the ages sure. decreased kind of thing, but you know, our kid can start helping us wash that zucchini or scoop the pumpkin out of the can. And the examples I gave, um, or, you know, as they get a little older, they can help grate the zucchini or mix, you know, they can see these things. And so you know, a lot of it is the angle we take. So okay. even though my kids may know there's zucchini in something, I'm not necessarily going to lead with, this is a zucchini muffin. They're, they made it with me, so they know, but they're kind of just in the process. Like they're whisking the eggs, they're scooping the sugar, they're probably licking their fingers, they're doing all the things. Yeah, They're seeing zucchini is in it. I'm not hiding it. I'm not sneaking it. But when they're baked and I'm saying, oh, do you want a muffin? I'm probably not going to lead with zucchini. I'm probably going to say, chocolate chip muffin if it has chocolate chip or you know like totally. or if it's green I'm gonna say do you want a Hulk muffin you know like I'm gonna lead with something that like excites them a little more than like shutting down that interest right away um that being said if they haven't you know been a part of the process we do want to be honest because the core concept of the division responsibility is building trust in the feeding relationship yeah. so one of the things we as parents do to break that trust is when we don't tell them this has chicken in it. Don't tell them this has pumpkin. You know, we try and kind of sneak it by. And that just, whether our kids find out or not, it's the same sort of thing if they were doing the opposite to us. You know, it just kind of erodes that trust, which is not what we want for our feeding relationship as much as possible. Yeah, I appreciate that so much. Cause I think, you know, like you see so many food items on the market right now that are off, you know, that are advertised as healthy, but it's like, this is literally a, a chip that we have, we're still teaching our kids to eat, you know, 
potato chips, essentially out of packages or fruit roll-ups or fruit snacks that happen to have vegetables, like vegetable juice in it, you know? So it's like the, it's the sneakiness or the trying to hide it. And I really appreciate that approach of like, let's not try to hide it. Let's just try to involve them in it. And um, and just build that trust. That's so good. So let's talk a little bit more about maybe really specific problems that some of us moms encounter, um, like real life mealtime scenarios. So picky eaters, I mean, that's probably the top of the list, right? A, a kid that sees that piece of carrot in his bowl and he's literally gagging, refusing to eat it throwing a fit, you know, and it turns into this huge struggle. So what do we do in that moment? Yeah. So I think, you know, I was just working on a post earlier today of saying like what quote unquote eating may look like, depending if a kid loves the food, likes the food or is learning to like a food. Because I think as parents, we expect eating is eating. You put it in your mouth, you chew it, you swallow it, you take another bite. Like that is the definition of eating. It's a two-step process to most of us as adults. It's very obvious. Like this is just what you do. And in a feeding perspective, there's all, there's like 32 different steps to eating. And parents don't want to hear that because that does sound like a marathon. It's literally like yeah. a mile per, per step. Like, I mean, it can, <laughs> it can genuinely feel like that. And I genuinely feel like some days I am like, it's going to take us two years to get through this one mile. Like, oh my goodness. But I think if families can, you know, kind of shift their perspective with that one, you know, going back to a few of the points that we've touched on so far, um, making that love it, like it learning it list to kind of discern, is this actually a problem or is this a irritant to me? Because pickiness can really bother parents, but it's not necessarily always problematic. It can be if it causes, parents to like shift the way we feed our kids and then we kind of perpetuate these picky eating patterns that can produce more problematic pickiness but I think in general if parents see my kid does like a variety of foods they're not omitting you know whole food groups they're just kind of finicky and preferential and you know don't eat everything I offer but it's not hugely problematic where it becomes more problematic is like if a kid truly only eats like 20 foods or less and there's food groups being omitted and there's high level of specificity. So it's like, it has to be, uh, you know, my kid loves chicken nuggets, but it is like only this brand cooked at this temperature for this many minutes served with ketchup in this little dish. Like, you know, the, the more specificity there is, the more that that might be indicative of, you know, kind of what we'd call like problem feeding versus typical picky eating that a child's more likely to grow out of. So I think number one, parents, do themselves and their child a service to know where is this feeding matters is a website that has some great resources. You can take like a free feeding questionnaire and it helps parents kind of discern what are some potential red flags. And then um, also like download it. So if they want to take it to their pediatrician or they do want to follow up with a feeding specialist, there's feeding specialists, you know, linked on that website so they can see, you know, does this seem like there's some red flags we need to look into further. So with a general picky eater, I would say for families to kind of work towards one meal is a great initial goal. Like you and I were talking about at the beginning, if families aren't offering family style meals, that's kind of where the kids get to self-serve from the option. And again, I have a lot of resources on that because I know that will freak a lot of parents out to even think about that. But, you know, kind of working through that process of one meals being offered to the whole family, but there's a variety of options. So if your kid doesn't like the carrots or really likes rice or whatever it might be, the family's starting to practice there's one meal. And at the beginning, families might kind of 
offer more of the foods that they know their child prefers till they kind of all adjust to this feeding style and the division responsibility. But then ultimately we start to offer our kids variety. And so using that love it, like learning it framework to say, okay, there's something at the meal my kid loves. So even if they eat nothing else, I know that they've had something that they enjoy and tend to eat at the meal. So if they are hungry, there's something available. It may be rice and it may be seconds and thirds of rice, but there's something they, that they really like. And then it goes to, you know, something that they like, maybe that chicken, you know, just sticking with clear examples from before. Yeah. And then they're learning to like the carrots, but that's okay because our goal isn't to only offer our kids things they love because that makes it impossible to expand on those picky eating patterns. Right. So instead right. we want to get towards, you know, one family meal and trying to make sure that there's a preferred food and a non-preferred food, which I just feel like the easiest way to kind of think about that is as best as possible that you can offer a love it, a like it, and a learning it option, or in the very least, especially if it's like a snack and you're only offering two things, you can do, you know, a love it and a learning it item to continue to offer that using those no pressure approaches, um, you know, trying to use more like playful presentations or, you know, ways of engaging our kids depending on age and stage. So another situation that I feel and that I feel like I found myself in just the other night too, was we had a normal meal and there were components on the dish that, you know, it was like pork loin and like mashed potatoes and a salad, whatever reason my eight-year-old did not like the salad dressing on the salad. And so I found myself being like, I just, just eat two bites, like just eat two bites of it. You know, the classic, like, I won't make you eat all the thing, just eat two bites. And it took him about an hour to eat those two bites. And it turned into this like struggle, this like power struggle. So in that situation, did I do the right thing? What could have gone better? You know, that type of a scenario, I feel like we find ourselves in a lot. Yes. I, I totally understand that. And I think in general, as parents, and my husband and I, you know, my husband and I were raised very differently with food and still are very different eaters and things. So like the amount of times I have to tell them, I'm like, that's not our most effective approach. You know, ideally we're not having this conversation in front of the kids, but just in terms of like that pressuring, because again, I'm sure as you saw, it really changes the tone of the table. You could have been having a great meal. Everyone was enjoying it. You're having, you know, again, talking about like where we're lowering our standard or just accepting, you know, extending grace on like, we're doing this. Like, let's, let's feel that this is an accomplishment. You could have been having a great meal. Everyone's eating from the same food. You guys are enjoying that time together. You're getting so many of the benefits of a family meal, but that salad, you know, that salad was what brought down the whole meal and did not only change the tone, it added an hour. I mean, like that's most families are not like, let's, I mean, even if the whole meal is being enjoyed an hour would be a pretty lengthy meal for most families. And so, you know, you kind of see as like, what's your metric of success here? And I think from a research perspective, typically when we are pressuring our kids to eat that way and they're responding clearly with enough apprehension that it took an hour kind of thing, that that's not going to get the long-term gains that we're looking for in terms of eating competence. You know, we want kids who desire to eat a variety of foods on their own accord and going back to that intuitive eating, that they have an intuitive sense of, I want to eat different foods, not I only like what is wrong with salad that I have to be forced to eat it or I don't crave salad on my own because it's, you know, it feels like it's been this really negative pressure filled thing for so long that when I am old enough to decide on my own, I'm not touching it. Like I just already have an averse relationship to it. So I think in general, it can be harder to value like, well, I presented it. And again, talking about those 32 steps to eating as parents, we see 
it was not eaten, it was eaten, it's very binary. But when we look at those 32 steps to eating, we can see, okay, so they didn't eat it. So we're gonna take it a notch back. We're gonna take a step back and see like, that was not, our, that was, that's just not where we're at. And that's okay because there's 32 steps to get there. So kind of finding out like, where are you at? You know, like, would your kid have wanted it if the dressing wasn't on it? In which case, you know, if there's some without it, you can say, well, you're welcome to get some without it. Or you can say, you know, I totally forgot that that's your preference. Next time I'll try and make it and offer the dressing on the side and you can do it that way. Don't go make a separate, you know, you don't have to, I try and encourage parents, don't get up from the meal to make something different. You can always right. like ask for forgiveness over whatever it's done and just say, hey, you know, I, I didn't think about that. This time I put everything together. Next time I'll try and separate pasta and the sauce. Next time okay. yeah. I'll try and remember to X, Y, Z. If kids seem like they would benefit, but what we want to do is we want to just keep taking a step back until it kind of resonates with where our kid is at. Because okay. some kids won't even want, the salad near them. It's like, don't put that on my plate. I don't care how you offer it. I don't care how much of it you give me. I don't want it near me. And so that's clearly a lot more steps back than I'd eat it. I just don't like that dressing. You know, that's, right. that's a different starting place. So I think if parents can kind of start with wherever their expectation is, normally it's for us, they'll eat it. And then just kind of keep taking steps back until that sweet spot with your kid where it's not pressure. It's not taking an hour. It's not kind of this like you were saying, it's not a power struggle. When it's not a power struggle, that's normally where it's kind of the just right fit for mm -hmm. you and your kid at that place. And then your goal becomes, how can we begin working on that next step forward? Like, what is the next step for you? Okay, we know eating it is a few steps. So maybe the next step is, okay, next time, next week, I'm gonna offer the salad with the dressing separate. Let's see how that goes. Okay, yeah. that either, you, you just don't know how it'll go. But I think if parents give themselves permission, okay, next time I'm gonna try it different and I'm gonna take a step back, maybe didn't handle it. Like clearly that kind of backfired. So that isn't really what I want every time. Next time I'm gonna take a step back and see, you know, how does this go? And if that went, you know, and then they can kind of adjust accordingly either to take a step forward or maybe they need to take another step back. But doing that is a step forward. I think it's just in our, you know, limited vantage point is parents. I don't see like, it as that. Yeah. Solid, I you know, know, I know. Well, I feel like that is so helpful because like, I, you know, it's almost like eat it or like you lose, you know, mm -hmm. like eat it or you fail. And I, I can put myself back in that situation and be like, maybe if I had said to him, Hey buddy, you know, what type of dressing do you like? You know, is there another dressing? Is there a salad that you do really like? He loves Caesar salad. I'm like, okay, maybe if next time, would you like to choose the Caesar salad? And maybe you could toss it yourself. And so I feel like in that moment, rather than being like, eat this salad <laughs> to just see it from a different angle and be like, okay, that's okay. I mean, do you want to try it? Do you not want to try it? I know you like this other kind of salad. Maybe next time we can choose the salad that you do like, like, I feel like that just really pulls the pressure off out of the moment. And I think that helps so much because we, as moms, we just get stuck in that moment and it just builds and builds and it turns into this giant struggle and we all want to win the struggle. And in the back of our mind, we're thinking you need to eat a vegetable today. You need to eat something green today. If I can just get one bite in your mouth, I will win, you know? And so I just feel like that is so helpful. It takes the pressure off. So what is just kind of to, to circle us back and, and lay on this plane, what is just a, a final thought that you want to leave with the moms that 
are like, man, okay. I, I feel encouraged a little bit now, but here I go back into the real world, back into my kitchen, back into the meal times with my kids. How do you want to encourage these moms during their meal times? I think a few things, but one, you know, circling on what you just said with, with what you just did, I think sometimes just assess the situation. Maybe moms just need to take one meal, one day, one week to just, you know, try and keep their lips sealed, be like slow to speak, slow Mm -hmm. to anger and quick to listen and observe that body language of your child. Observe the dynamics of your feeding environment. Observe what is going on because as moms, we know, like, I don't know that about your son, but you knew that you knew he likes Caesar. Oh, he, you automatically started thinking like, oh, well, maybe if he had Caesar dressing on this salad, or maybe if we offered Caesar salad and I just say, do you want to add any of these carrots or cucumber on it too? Like, again, like if parents can see that as a win to get, I mean, just the Caesar would have been great, but I mean, like a variation of Caesar or a salad with Caesar dressing, like that is versatility in the diet. But I think so often we're like, a salad is a salad, eat the salad. Like (laughs) to a child, those little differences are huge. And so I think number one, if parents can assess their situation, because normally we're all, we're all moving really fast where, you know, dinner needs to be served and baths need to be had and we got to have bedtime and homework and, you know, someone's working late and someone has a soccer practice and it's, and it's hustle. And we don't take time to observe when we're in that hustle, because it's very like, can I check the box? My kid ate a vegetable at dinner and I'm doing good. You know, where if I think if whatever, you know, every family is going to be at a different place of like, wow, I really need to take a step back and like, look at this calmly. And chances are I need to, you know, dialogue in private away from the table. Don't do it for your kids, but with my husband about this, of like, how do we want to approach this? Because we have been really pushing this and it's totally negatively impacting how our kids eat, the tone of the table, it's making this part of the time, you know, like you have to get on the same page because we all have different feeding histories. And so I think as a mom to take a step back and observe and just really listen, listen to that body language, listen to what your kids aren't saying, you know, make that love it like learning it list and listen to what they are saying. What are they saying they're willing to eat and look at, they love Caesar salad. Oh, how could I change that up? How could I use that to my advantage? How could I offer Caesar dressing as a dip for all the vegetables that they don't, you know, like yeah. if we, if we slow down and change the perspective, I think that can help a lot. Um, and so that I would say would be the first thing. And then the second thing is, you know, in taking that step back, look at that creative potential of there's so many options from wherever you're starting. I think very easily we can think if it's not whatever our standard of perfect health and a perfect eater is, if it's not that, it's just not enough. And, you know, to your point, like if they didn't eat, a bite of vegetables today. Well, like, what is that bite worth? I'll tell you nutritionally, it's just not worth it. Like as a dietitian, one bite of greens did not make or break their nutritional like quota for the day. And so, or, you know, green lettuce or whatever it might be. Yeah. And, but what does make or break them for life is did they learn to like a variety of foods? Did they learn to like vegetables in a variety of ways? And, you know, did they learn to enjoy time at the table with people? You know, like those kind of things do tremendously set and not one meal, of course, but like, you know, a childhood made up of these kind of experiences can redirect the relationship with food that our kids have. So I think if families can, in taking a step back, you know, pray over that list, pray over what does my kid need? What is the best way to connect with my kid? Is it that I'm having milk and cookies with them every Friday and, or, you know, every Sunday, and we talk about what are we packing in their lunches this week? Because I don't want to see another ham sandwich being thrown away. Like that might be a little bit of motive, but you know, like, when you look at that love it, like at learning it, let's think, how can I pivot from Caesar salad being the only salad? 
how can I, uh, you know, bring this stressor forward of this lunch dilemma and be in tune with my child in a way that helps us together as a team with a healthy relationship with each other and with food move forward. And I think if parents can kind of work through that, there'll be a whole lot of opportunity that opens up. But I think rather than giving like really concrete examples that might be kind of niche to a family, um, I would like to encourage parents, you know, to, to be okay with that slow, small, like that slow pace and that small mm-hmm. step forward being something that can really help progress for their family. Absolutely. I, I could not agree with you more. And it's what we need for our own self-care as moms mm-hmm. to just lower those expectations and to reassess like what does health actually mean and what mm-hmm. does it look like in our habits and to be like, Hey, just a little bit better is a huge victory and to celebrate mm-hmm. those victories. That's so, so good. Well, Ashley, it's been so fun to have you on. Yes, we might you. have to have you back, but how can we learn more from you? How can we get in touch with you? Because there's so much that we didn't touch on things like organizing a functional fridge yes, and like, Oh, I, I love we'll have to do that. that one another time. Cause you know, I love totally. talking about refrigeration. Oh. oh man. You would be shocked at my fridge right now. It is so not organized because it's tiny and it's terrible. So we'll have to talk about that another time, but in the meantime, how can we find you on all the, all the platforms? So I'm on Instagram at veggies and virtue. And then my website is veggiesandvirtue.com and anyone's welcome to email me. Um, there's contact forms there. You can just email me at ashley at veggiesandvirtue.com. Um, I work one-on-one with families. I do group coaching, um, really however I can help. I have a weekly newsletter. So if you are on my website, you can sign up for that and get um, weekly newsletters from me too with different kind of links and articles that I've been publishing. So um, any way that uh, families would like to connect, I would love to connect with them. So, so helpful. Well, we appreciate you so much being on and we cannot wait to have you again. Yeah, thank you for having me. 